Hello and welcome to episode 261 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and I have Tony with me here today who's on the streets of Brooklyn. Hey, Tony, what's do- what you doing? Hey. <laughs> hey, I'm in Bushwick getting ready to go shoot some pool. Um, unfortunately, I have meetings and uh, later on the week, so this is how you have to do this. Is, but this is the beautiful thing about podcasts. Yeah, technology. Old, you can do them. Technology. You know, my iPhones carry me along. So, yeah, nice works. And I'm um, having a nice little cigar. And there are a lot of random people looking at me very strangely. But, uh, yeah, no, this is great. <laughs> what do we got for the podcast today, though? <laughs> we got one of your favorite topics uh, DLT. Oh, <laughs> Yay. Looking forward to it. Uh, so we have we have uh, Jerome Kemp. Uh, he's the president at Baton Systems, uh, a company that is looking to transform post-trade processing using DLT. But what's interesting about Jerome is he spent uh, um, the majority of his career actually working in capital markets. Uh, a lot of his uh, experience is in the listed and cleared derivative space. Uh, spent a lot of time at J.P. Morgan and Citigroup. So. Yeah, it's interesting um, to see his point of view looking at this technology. Yeah, it is the one thing you know. As much as I might you know not love the topic, DLT, digital assets, all these things are not going anywhere. Mm. I might disagree with the extent to which they go places, but it's good that we have these voices on. So I, I'm looking forward to listening to this. Yeah, you know, not tonight, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> the puppies at the back uh, agree with you, I think. Yes, but everybody should. Uh, before we sign off, everybody should go check out our coverage of the Ion Hack. This is something that's going to be very, very interesting. I want to get somebody on the podcast that can talk about, you know, um, private cloud environments, hacks, how you kind of recover from this. I think that's going. To, I mean, this is it's it's the dirty secret that everybody's like, oh, man, this company messed up. Yeah, they did until it's your company messing up. So I think that's going to be an interesting <laughs> one. So go check out our coverage on waterstechnology.com. But let's talk about blockchain and DLT and how, you know, that will prevent hacks, even though, you know, oh. anyway, crypto. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go. Right, and today we have Jerome Kem. He's the president at Baton Systems, uh, a company that is looking to transform post-trade processing using distributed ledger technology. Hi, Jerome. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Weishen. How are you? I am very good, thank you. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I thought it would be great, um, you know, to get to to talk. A little bit about DLT and the use case that it has for post-trade, but perhaps uh, to start with, could you give us an overview of yourself um, as well as Baton Systems? Uh, sure. Uh, as for myself, I've spent uh, my career working in capital markets, uh, primarily focused on uh, the uh, listed and cleared derivative space. Uh, I was about 18 years at JP Morgan and another 10, 11 years at Citigroup where I ran <clears throat> global derivatives clearing businesses. So that's really uh, my background. Uh, uh, as for Baton, uh, interesting story. Um, I met Baton Systems uh, when I was running the clearing business at uh, City, 
I was actually one of their first clients. Um, Arjun <coughs> Jairam, the CEO, reached out to me and uh, and said, I'd like to talk to you about uh, payments. And I said, OK, let's talk. So he came and gave me this whole spiel about retail payments. And I said, I'm going to stop you right there. Um, retail has nothing to do with the world that I operate in. So if you uh, if you ever sort of make progress in sort of institutional or wholesale payments, uh, let me know. And lo and behold, you know, nine months later or so, Arjun came back knocking at my door and said, I think I've solved it. I said, well, what have you solved? He said, well, I think that I can give you real-time visibility into how your, you know, margins are evolving over the course of a trading day. I can give you real-time visibility into, you know, the collateral that you might want to use to satisfy your margin obligations uh, at, at CCPs. And that will open up a whole new world for you. And by the way, this is all sort of nested uh, in uh, in the distributed ledger technology space. And I said, hmm, well, this is 2017. DLT was uh, pretty nascent at the time. But um, I said, OK, let's let's have a look. Let's see where we can go with this. So, you know, what Baton was offering me then and what Baton has morphed into now is, is essentially a fintech based, you know, that um, uh, offers uh, a, I would say, a relatively important leap in terms of a market participant's ability to mobilize assets, to move them efficiently, efficiently, uh, with uh, transparency, uh, with speed, and with the uh, immutability, if you will, uh, that uh, allows for uh, the reduction of risk uh, and an overall improvement in the uh, call it funding and liquidity cycles that uh, a market participant uh, would typically face during the course of a trading day. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, that's thanks, <laughs> thanks for that overview. Um, well, I guess maybe to take a little bit of a step back here, actually. So yeah. the post-trade system, right? Uh, eco, sorry, the post-trade ecosystem. There are many. Uh, it has many flaws. It's old. Uh, there, it's a spaghetti of systems. Uh, it takes time to change things. So people have been throwing various technologies at it, trying to, you know, um, uh, make it better. Uh, but uh, well. Bottom line is, it's it's only as good as the slowest person in that value chain, right? So, uh, perhaps, what are uh, and there's so many problems, right? But what are the top three issues and, and challenges in the post in the entire post trade ecosystem that you can see um, that you think <laughs> are the most important? Okay, well, I think you hit on a couple of them. I, it is a big spaghetti bowl of uh, uh, of connectivity. Connectivity. Uh, with each, uh, you know, participant in, you know, a given network, probably using a, a technology or infrastructure that is radically different from the next user uh, in that network. So you've got some very basic sort of compatibility issues, which obviously will act as uh, as uh, hindrances to uh, fluid uh, communication across the network. I think uh, the second, uh, you know, fatal flaw, if you will, in terms of what happens today is really around, uh, call it the, uh, the centralized batch processes that tend to characterize anything that, uh, you know, touches on, you know, the movement or settlement of, uh, of value uh, in the financial ecosystem. So typically you'll see market uh, participants having to, you know, fund 24 hours, 48 hours in advance, a payment or a settlement or a movement that they need to accomplish to, you know, 
pay a counterparty, satisfy a margin requirement, uh, et cetera, which uh, adds, you know, very, very significant uh, uh, cost to the to the overall uh, process. And, and, and thirdly, Wilson, I think that um, the 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 as you pointed out, the, the the third flaw is really just around call it uh, the age of the systems that we are typically dealing with. There seems to be a, a mantra in uh, in markets if it uh, relative to infrastructure, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, you know, if I can do what I need to do today with the system that I built 30 years ago, then then fine, you know, I can do that. But that's no longer valid anymore because, you know, let's face it, we're in a very different world than we were, you know, in the late uh, 20th century. Uh, the overall volatility that we've seen in markets, the overall amount of risk being transacted in a market on a daily basis, uh, and the overall proliferation of uh, of participants uh, in a given market has just exploded. And so the systems that uh, you know, arguably, and I would you know put real big air quotes around arguably, uh, functioned you know 20, 30 years ago, you know, are just creaking right now. Some of them you know tip over you know regularly. And so there is a, a very present uh, and very urgent need to introduce uh, new ways uh, of doing, uh, you know, uh, of performing the, the, these activities. Okay, so um, Jerome, tell me, tell me why, why is it that uh, DLT you think, uh, and why does Beton think that DLT is a good, uh, I guess, technology for the post-trade ecosystem? Well, I think it gives a couple of things. Um, as I alluded to earlier, I think one of the best, uh, I guess, attributes of DLT is the real-time transparency that one can achieve uh, over these networks. So uh, using the example, uh, for instance, of a uh, derivatives clearer, um, you know, being able to see, you know, how my, you know, margin requirements evolve over a given day is very important in terms of how I look at uh, managing the risk and exposures that I take on to the various clients that, that I support. Being able to have real-time visibility into collateral that I would use to you know, eventually satisfy uh, margin requirements, whether it's to a custodian or a CSD, uh, is uh, obviously very, very important as well, because again, that will you know, have a great influence in terms of uh, how I uh, you know, manage my, my risk and exposure relative to the clients and relative to the CCPs. Another, I think, great um, attribute of DLT is that it allows to it allows you to uh, coordinate, synchronize, and make simultaneous movements. So in other words, let's take an example in the settlement space, for instance, if I, if you and me, Wei Shen, we have traded, um, I don't know, euros against dollars, uh, I'm buying euros, you're selling dollars, um, I would prefer not to have uh, one-legged exposure to you. In other words, I don't want to, um, you know, uh, what did I say? I'm buying the euros, so I would not want to, uh, you know, pay euros to you without, you know, having sight uh, of your dollars. Even more so, I would, I would prefer for us to be able to simultaneously exchange our euros and dollars so neither one of us, you know, carries that risk of being caught out. If something happens to you, if something happens to me, uh, and, I'm, and you or I are unable to pay, uh, obviously that, that's a problem. DLT allows for the simultaneity uh, 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 of these flows. Um, and uh, that is, uh, I think, a massive step forward. 
Uh, obviously, this happens in a decentralized space, so we're no longer reliant on these batch processes that I referred to earlier uh, that immobilize, you know, massive amounts of funds and liquidity, you know, in, in, in the market. So, you know, what DLT essentially does is allows us to sequence, you know, transactions between ourselves, allows us to coordinate these the, the, these movements, allows them to allows them to occur simultaneously so as to avoid that you know mutual exposure that we could have or do have in you know in legacy systems and so i think that these attributes are, are really the ones that uh, are you know the perhaps most important attributes that um you know a company like baton is is bringing to the market today okay but are there okay. specific areas within Trade that uh dlt is better at and you know, perhaps uh, others that it's not so great for. I mean, like which post, which particular post-trade processes would uh, benefit the most out of this, the use of this technology? Well, I think as we're demonstrating today, uh, FX settlements is a great area. Um, today, Baton <coughs> settles um, anywhere between, you know, 10 and $20 billion in FX uh, movements today for its clients. Um, and it does so. Uh, it's able to, you know, settle these uh, uh, these movements in, you know, a five-minute, you know, time cohort, as opposed to the 24 or 48-hour time cohorts that uh, one would be facing in, in more traditional or, or legacy systems. So, you know, I think that that's a, you know, a, a perfect example. Um, I think, though, you raise an interesting question. You know, where is DLT appropriate, and where does it not make sense to use DLT? Um, I think that we've seen a couple of examples where. You know, DLT or by extension blockchain has proved to be, you know, perhaps poorly adapted or perhaps uh, just not advanced enough to 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 really, you know, provide a solution. So I think that uh, you know clearly, uh, you know, there needs to be you know a considerable amount of you know sort of reality testing done uh, before uh, you know going down the route of using a DLT. Uh, you know, solution to 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 solve a given problem. It's interesting to me that you know back in the mid 2010s, when DLT or you know by extension blockchain first appeared, you know on the horizon as the arguably viable solution, um, it seemed to be like a tabula rasa. Everyone expected you know DLT or blockchain to solve every problem imaginable. It was like this nirvana, you know, from a technology point of view. You know, I, you know, you've got a, you know, any type of issue could be, you know, moved to a, 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 a distributed ledger and poof, you know, all your problems go away. Um, I think we've seen this sort of crash and burn spectacularly in, you know, the outcome of the, uh, the chess project, uh, you know, in, in Australia. Uh, there, you know, obviously, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars were spent. People lost their jobs over this. And in the end, they kind of, you know, wrote this uh, project off because the technology chosen, which, um, you know, has been characterized as blockchain, which is essentially, you know, a, a, a version of a distributed ledger technology, you know, was just too, was, was, it was inappropriate given the, the size uh, of the challenge. And for me, it's kind of, you know, shocking to think that, um, you know, the one of the core systems in, in the Australian Stock Exchange, Chess, which essentially reconciles and settles, you know, hundreds of millions, hundreds of billions of, you know, uh, of transactions on a daily basis. Uh, they went forward with a solution that was essentially uh, 
tried, untested, you know, you know, in, in the market. This was uh, uh, clearly a bridge too far. So I think, um, you know, what we've, you know, essentially, you know, determined at, at Baton is that uh, we're going to start from, you know, first principles and uh, use DLT in, in, in well circumscribed, uh, you know, use cases. Essentially trying to, uh, you know, integrate with existing rails, existing systems uh, to interoperate with these systems as a means of making incremental steps to improve the overall functioning uh, specific processes, such as the settlement uh, example I gave uh, a few minutes ago. Okay. So well, it's, it's, sorry, go ahead. Okay, sorry. Um, well, yeah, since you, you brought uh, the chest replacements uh, project up, I mean, I'm just, I thought I want to pick your brain also on uh, the D DTCC's uh, trade information warehouse project. Do you think that what they're trying to do there is also, you know, taking it a, a step too far? Uh, yeah. You know, actually, wish it. I'm going to, you know, hold back on reflecting on what the DTCC is up to because I just don't think that we know enough uh, at this point. I would just say that uh, it's a very interesting project. I think it has potential, uh, but I don't think we've got enough uh, sort of, you know, insight at this point. And, you know, I'm not talking about insight sort of in the public domain. I have no sort of, you know, uh, you know, sort of, you know, magical sort of uh, clairvoyance on this um, to, to, to really opine on it. But I do think it's an interesting project. And I do think that it is or potentially is aligned uh, with, uh, you know, the direction of travel in terms of how, you know, DLT, you know, can make, uh, you know, improvements to, to existing uh, processes. So I think DTC is onto something interesting here. Okay, fair enough. Uh, totally understand that. But I, I know that there is an element also in the implementation part of it, right? As, as we can see now from the, uh, I guess, the chest replacement example there, um, they kind of bit off a bit more than they could chew with this technology, perhaps. And, um, you know, where, uh, I guess, where the, what are the challenges that, you know, some of these firms, they could be banks, vendors, uh, you know, exchanges, even, you know, what do they face when they try to implement a DLT-based system? I mean, this could be <laughs> like a settlement system, like what the, like what chess is doing, or it could, you know, be, let's say, uh, a system that's used to verify, let's say, um, uh, PE transactions, uh, you know, like the example that uh, Northern Trust uh, has done, which is now an, a project that belongs to Broadridge, um, you know, so that has that has worked in that in that instance. But where, what are the challenges that they face that other firms face when it comes to kind of the implementation phase of, you know, uh, using this technology? I'm, I'm, I actually think, Wei uh, Shen, that it's probably a, a question of uh, of uh, you know ambition, uh, and let me explain that. I think that um, uh, there's a tendency to want to find the silver bullet, uh, mm -hmm. the one solution that uh, you know the one ring that rules them all type of thing, uh, and uh, it's just not going to happen uh, for numerous reasons. Uh, even though you know the, we've made significant uh, strides in terms of uh, the application of distributed ledger technology, there's still, you know, considerable work to be done. Just in terms, uh, I would think, in the first instance, of the ability to, you know, really, you know, scale up to super industrial strength, uh, uh, DLT-based uh, application. We are making very good, good progress. Um, but again, uh, this progress is incremental. 
And um, I think that, um, you know, trying to, and, and so I think that that needs to be taken into account when designing, you know, any project that is DLT uh, based. And again, that's why, you know, I come back to what I was saying earlier and that we are, you know, at Baton taking, you know, incremental steps in terms of validating uh, the applicability of DLT to, you know, very specific um, and, and discrete, um, you know, uh, operational challenges, you know, in, in the post-trade uh, space. So um, the other thing that I would also add to that is that, you know, Banks, markets, and certainly regulators are kind of loath to big bang type of solutions. Um, uh, they tend to be costly. Uh, they tend to be replete with gaps, and they tend to be risky and actually pose a risk uh, to the, the broader ecosystem. So again, I wouldn't expect to see, you know, uh, a another you know chess-like project uh, come down the path uh, for some time. Um, on the contrary, I would expect to see. You know, perhaps a you know projects defined with you know much broader ambitions, but uh, with you know very discrete uh, blocks of implementation that uh, over time you know result in you know much broader uh, and much more wide-ranging uh, solutions. Again, I mean it's all about building a network. So validate the base case of your network today. Uh, start to bring participants or nodes into that network and incrementally build. Uh, not only sort of the breadth of that network, but the functionality that is embedded within that network uh, from from a from a DL uh, perspective. I think that that's probably how this is going to evolve, or this is essentially how we'd like to see it evolve, and this is how you know we are are working towards you know making you know this type of uh, uh, infrastructure uh, evolve uh, you know in, in in the post trade space. Okay. Okay. Um, actually, you, you recently signed a collaboration with BNY Mellon, right? Um, I mean, could you please tell us a bit about, a bit more about that uh, that partnership there? Yeah, um, sure, happy to. So, um, uh, yeah, we um, we did sign this uh, a partnership agreement with uh, with uh, BNY Mellon. Uh, I think this was announced back in in December. Um, for the moment, uh, this is very much focused on. Uh, what to BNI bring BNY brings to the market in terms of its uh, uh, its uh, optimization products. So, uh, what BNY is focused on is working with their clients to uh, essentially optimize uh, the ways in which uh, they go about uh, collateralizing their various obligations. So, what Baton brings to the party, uh, as I mentioned uh, before, is the connectivity. Uh, to uh, the various um, uh, CCPs. So today, for instance, uh, Baton is connected to 11 or 12, that list is always growing, CCPs, where we're supplying real-time or near real-time uh, insight into the uh, evolution of uh, margin for you know, individual members of these CCPs. So this is obviously a very critical input uh, because you need to know, you know, you know how your margin obligations are evolving as a means of being able to continually optimize uh, the uh, overall uh, way in which uh, you're going to mobilize cash and non-cash to satisfy those obligations. So Baton is bringing that real-time visibility into uh, the CCP leg uh, uh, of that um, of that process, and then uh, also uh, bringing uh, to the process the uh, 
ability to to mobilize those assets and to actually move them to to where they need to be in in in, in very tight uh, timeframes. But again, we're still just getting out of the you know the blocks here. This is something that was announced a month or so ago. So uh, we've got uh, you know a, a fairly uh, you know steep uh, curve ahead of us in terms of uh, you know moving forward uh, with our ambitions here. Actually, Jeremy, if you could actually go into that connectivity part. So how you connect, uh, could you explain basically how you connect in with the different CCPs and hence provide uh, yeah, custodians like BNY Mellon and, and other firms that you service, uh, you know, that real time transparency of uh, uh, margins and, and, and uh, collateral um, and how that evolves. I mean, if you could go into the, the details of how that connectivity works, um, yeah, that would be great. Okay. Um, disclaimer: I'm not a technologist, uh, so um, you know my explanation here, uh, you know, might not be uh, sort of a love, uh, you know, a what an engineer might tell you. But um, essentially, I think it's important to think about uh, you know our connectivity uh, as uh, creating, uh, call it um, uh, one-sided nodes in a network, if you will. So each CCP, you know, uh, potentially represents a, a node uh, <coughs> in a network, uh, which today uh, is connected to uh, the Baton connects to via uh, APIs. Okay, so uh, we are essentially connecting to those CCPs uh, on behalf uh, of our clients, uh, giving us the ability to uh, look directly into uh, their accounts uh, at, at the CCP. So we're consuming. Uh, that that information uh, at the CCP level, we are reconciling uh, the information that we see, i.e., the trades that the CCP is reporting as giving rise to a margin obligation. We're actually consuming that trade data, reconciling it, so as to do that sanity check or handshake with the exchange that uh, what the uh, CCP uh, says is a trade for a given client is uh, actually corresponds to a trade that the client says it's done on that particular exchange. So we we create a golden copy or a handshake, uh, you know, on the ledger of that particular piece. Uh, we then, um, you know, look at the um, transactions as they evolve on the CCP and actually engage in continual real-time netting. Because once we've captured those transactions, we're actually able to, you know, net them on a continual basis. Uh, so when um, um, the, um, when the uh, participants uh, actually do determine that it's time to essentially make a margin movement, uh, they've already you know looked at uh, those net obligations, uh, which uh, obviously is uh, you know very important in terms of thinking about um, uh, you know funding uh, and, um, and and liquidity. Uh, so um, on the flip side of that, we're also, as I mentioned, looking into the client's uh, custodial accounts, whether it be you know at a custodian itself or perhaps at a, at a CSD, to uh, keep track of uh, what um, uh, securities are you know immediately available, uh, which eligible securities are immediately available to actually satisfy those obligations at CCPs. As perhaps you are aware, um, a uh, CCP will impose uh, various uh, eligibility criteria. So. Only certain, uh, you know, instruments uh, would be acceptable to to cover a, a margin exposure. 
you know, U.S. Treasuries, for instance, uh, might be considered, you know, the best quality, or other government bonds. Equities might be acceptable uh, with a with a bit more of a haircut, if you will, or a discount to uh, its face value. And so, what we do is that um, we will, you know, look at the uh, set of available collateral at a given custodian, for instance, and then apply those eligibility requirements that are imposed by our various CCP. Um, we'll also apply the various costs um, uh, that um, a CCP would uh, also uh, uh, impute, uh, you know, to uh, being able to post securities to itself, uh, such as collateral us usage fees, uh, interest rates, uh, et cetera, that would be applied as well. And all of these elements come together to uh, assist in uh, a, call it a first order, you know, optimization. So uh, I'm able to identify, you know, call it a waterfall of acceptable or eligible securities based on what's available at this custodian, and we can do that in real time. We apply, you know, the various uh, or allow for the application of the various haircuts that would be applied as well. The various, uh, you know, fees, interest rates, and other charges that would be applied to help create this overall hierarchy of uh, what the optimal mix uh, of, um, uh, of securities would be. Now. This optimization process is really sort of the the, the core value of, of what uh, you know BNY uh, does. So uh, we are you know working with them to uh, provide them with that visibility uh, on both ends of this equation: the CCP leg on the one hand, the custodial or CSD leg on the other, and allows them to 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 step in and in real time uh, apply their optimization algorithms to assist their clients. In making the best solutions possible, meaning the most economic or the the the, the most efficient, um, if you will, uh, decisions uh, available to uh, uh, to post the best mix of of cash and non-cash to satisfy you know their 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 margin obligations. And what's really interesting is that uh, as a validation case, I think uh, listed derivatives is, is super powerful, but uh, the same logic could be applied to Virtually any any other you know asset class, whether you're thinking about you know repos, for instance, uh, securities lending, it is the same logic, because a repo will have the same sort of you know halo of uh, eligible collateral criteria applied to it. There will be various fees and interest rates as well that are applied, haircuts uh, as well. So what we're doing here, I think, is you know establishing a very interesting base case for what could you know very possibly be you know further onward uses across a much broader spectrum of, uh, of underlying assets, uh, which, uh, you know, are ripe for optimization, you know, in, in the post-trade space. Mm. Mm. Okay, but speaking about that, um, I guess if I could, if I could use the term optimization, but like apply yeah. that to the post-trade innovation within the post-trade uh, ecosystem very broadly, I mean, there are so many parties involved, right? And um, any, uh, as I mentioned earlier, any improvements is, you know, subject to whoever's the slowest in that chain of events. Um, given that uh, the mindset in the back office has always been Yep. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Uh, it still works. What have we? What we've been using for the past thirty years? It still works. Maybe there's like some, you know, little plaster changes that we make here, or you know. Uh, but you know, uh, how? Uh, so given that, how can the back office innovate uh, better and push the these slow movers forward? Well, 
I think, you know, broken is not exactly the term to use in the use case I just described to you, the, you know, the CCP one, because it wasn't broken. I mean, yeah. essentially, it, it was blind. It was a blind process. <clears throat> Typically, there was no visibility, uh, real time or otherwise, into, you know, how margin obligations were evolving over a given day. There was really no real time visibility into how, you know, custodial assets were evolving over the course of a given day. And as you can imagine, you know, on both sides, both margins and, uh, you know, custodial assets, you know, evolve very quickly uh, over the course of a given day. And no one really had visibility, you know, into either of these, you know, critical pools of the process. So this wasn't broken. This wasn't, I don't know what the word is. It was just completely non-functional. So you had a real, I mean, derivatives clearers, for instance, were completely handicapped in terms of their ability to, you know, efficiently, you know, help their clients to optimize the process because they had no visibility to begin with. So by, you know, stepping in and, and creating, you know, I guess these, the, these windows, these real-time windows into what was happening at the CCP, what was happening at the custodian, it's like, you know, you're, you know, lifting the blinds for the first time, you're actually seeing, you know, outside. It's like, you know, the platonic cave, you know, you see the shadows, you never see the reality. It's not until you stick your head out of the cave where you see the real world. And so I think, you know, that's the significant step that, that we've taken in terms of uh, taking this forward. So I wouldn't even call it a broken process. I would call it was a non-existent process. And it was kind of finger in the air. And so what was happening is that people were over, over collateralizing their exposures. They really didn't have, you know, any real sort of uh, scientific uh, way to understand what was available, what could be moved, how much it cost, whether it was optimal. And these are all the things that, uh, you know, we're, we're bringing to the market today. And so with, um, with, with uh, just going back to your question on BNY, with, the, you know, the power of, uh, you know, their amazing optimization uh, uh, platform and with the visibility that uh, our network at Baton brings, you know, to the mobilization of these assets, uh, we're poised to bring, you know, a very powerful and meaningful uh, advance, you know, to 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 the market. So this wasn't about a tweak. This was about, you know, you know, lifting the blinds for the first time, really. Okay. Uh, as a last question here, I just want to pick your brain on, you know, some of the other technologies that are playing a big part in improving post trade, um, yeah, post trade processes. What do you what do you think? Other technologies that are driving post-trade processes. I think it, this really is, uh, uh, you know, about DLT. I mean, and uh, its various permutations. Um, I think in 2023, in addition to just talking about DLT, you'll be speaking a lot more. We'll be speaking a lot more about uh, tokenization and and how that uh, you know fits into uh, the broader mix. Um, I think that. Uh, but um, we'll be doing that, I think, with a, I wouldn't call it trepidation, but with a lot more caution. I think we've seen sort of this tokenized space uh, uh, have some uh, pretty spectacular, uh, you know, accidents uh, over the past year, or maybe not even accidents, maybe, you know, they were almost, uh, you know, anticipated. But, um, you know, I think that uh, there's going to be uh, a, you know, relative to the use of tokens, a, a major rethink in terms of how you know, stable coins or smart coins uh, work. Uh, I don't think this space is dead, but it's going to be reinvented in a much more secured way. 
I also think that, uh, you know, whatever the technology you're talking about, you're going to see the regulators step in in a much more meaningful way to have their word uh, as to, you know, how these systems uh, should operate, uh, who can operate them and under what conditions. Um, I think it will be interesting to see if, uh, you know, regulators uh, step in to try to uh, introduce uh, regulatory regimes that uh, would be better adapted to the roles that firms such as Bataan, you know, plays in the ecosystem. Today, we're still very, very focused on FMIs, you know, financial market infrastructures, which tend to be CCPs and banks and CSDs and custodians. There's really nothing out there that specifically focuses on the transformational roles that, uh, you know, technology players such as Bataan, uh, you know, play. And uh, I think, uh, I mean, my anticipation is that uh, we're going to see regulators a, a lot more vocal, you know, on that uh, uh, specific point, because it is a gap. You know, we are working to become systemically important, but uh, we're kind of in a in, in, in a vacuum from a regulatory space because we're not a bank, we're not a CCP, we're not a CSD. Mm -hmm. What are we? And how can we, you know, be, you know, better uh, regulated and viewed? in order to essentially, uh, you know, advance, you know, securely so that we don't represent a, a threat uh, to, to, to the financial ecosystem as we become more and more significant, uh, you know, uh, feature of it. Mm, okay. okay. Well, thank you for joining us today, Jerome. It's been a really insightful conversation and we look to have you back in the future. Well, thank you, Weishan. It's been a pleasure.